This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Delivery. so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 267 of the Stacey West podcast. I am Gary, one of your regular hosts, and today I am Joined by a man who picked up a controversial booking, I understand, this morning in the world of Sunday League, Mr. Chris Lamming. Hello. I lost my temper. <laughs> I called the uh, opposition linesman a very silly boy, or words to that effect. Yeah. yeah. And a deserved yellow card, I have to admit. Was it the wrong decision from the linesman? Yes, one of many. Yeah. Did he call a, an offside that was never an offside or something like Men- that? Many, yes, many. Yeah. I was very upset. <laughs> I actually find that ruins um, Sunday League. I've been to watch several Sunday League games uh, over the years, a couple in rugby, some before you were there. And I remember one team come in, and I won't say who, because at the time they were managed by a, a Lincoln City fan um, whose line called so much stuff offside that I thought uh, one of rugby's players, Dean, um, was going to put him on his bottom because and I've got a great photo of, <laughs> of Dean over uh, in the in the players, in the the, uh, the face of the opposition assistant referee. That doesn't surprise me at all. No, no. no <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Not not particularly happy at all. And funnily enough, um, we'll get straight into it rather than the usual jovial banter that we, we do, because we've got a hell of a lot to get through today. If you are listening, um, this is like the contents page of a book. So I'm looking down our notes. We're going to talk about Wickham. We're going to talk about formation, first half, second half, changes, disallowed goal, goal, Matt Bloomfield's comments. Boom, we're going to go into potentially an advert, potentially not, you never know. Then we're going to talk Chris Cohen. Then we're going to talk Scabala transfer comments. Then we're going to talk injuries because we've got access to some really unique data um, that that isn't out there in the public domain. So we've got a lot to get through. So bantering between, as you know, that whole like, oh, what's your favourite, Chris, but whatever. We're not going to do any of that. We're going to get straight into it. Lincoln City, Wickham Wanderers. Chris, how the hell did we line up? Because I'll be honest, I looked at Scout this morning and it said one thing. I've looked through our group chats and they've said one thing. I've, I've looked through my own eyes at the game and I'm still not entirely working out. People are saying Lass was central midfield. They were saying he was 
right back. They were saying he was right wing. Take us through it. Uh, this is really interesting. I just, I love this sort of thing. And it's nice to be able to have this sort of chat because pretty much every game prior to this, it's been reasonably set in stone and you've known who's in play and where and all we've been talking about is who's not available. So it's a, it's really refreshing to be able to have this sort of conversation. But um, I think what's worth pointing out is those numbers that we always use to define formations, 4-4-2, 3-5-2, whatever it is we might be doing, um, that's generally the numbers that you would use to describe your out-of-possession shape. In possession, it can often be very different between in and out. And um, I felt like we were primarily a 4-4-2 yesterday for pretty much 90 minutes. But there was a couple of little um, kind of tweaks to that, I suppose. Um so there's kind of like our, our defensive formation was definitely a 4-4-2. Last was a, definitely in a flat line with Arahan and Hamilton and Duffy in the in, in the first half. Um, this is all up until we made the substitutions in the second half, by the way. Um, so last was, was primarily pressing the opposition left back and they were playing a back four. Um, but in possession, um, last kind of tucked inside, almost like a midfield three, pushed on, almost like a free eight, just like Hamilton did on the other side with Irahan sitting deeper, allowing Jack Burroughs to push on on the overlap, like a really attacking fullback, or if you will, a wing back in a back five, in a way, um, in possession. Left side, Dylan Duffy stayed nice and wide, did drift now and then, but his starting position was wide. And Sean, unlike a traditional left back that goes up and down, he tucked in to make a kind of a situational back three. So, out of possession, and for a lot of the game, we were, we were primarily a 4-4-2, but a couple of little tweaks in regard to kind of a bit of freedom, getting last kind of inside the pitch and higher up the pitch at times. So he tucked in quite a bit when we had the ball. So um, what we were, though, for those of us that are that way inclined, uh, we were 4-4 effing 2 for, <laughs> for the first time for, for a very long time. Uh, and I liked it. Well, I think the big talking point, though, is we start with two up top. That's the big, the really big talking point. Um, and it's something that I'm all for, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it didn't work in the first half, let's be honest, but we can come <laughs> on to the we can come on to the reasons for that. We can get excited about going two up top, but but the first half was you know, I, I've seen words like woeful watching it, and and you know, because you took it a, a little bit from me, I think at one point, I think I messaged you and I wasn't particularly happy watching it i felt it was it was a tough watch and i was feeling as despondent as i did in the first half against stevenage more so because this was the game where we we'd all talked about it this was the line in the sand this was the he's had the time on the training pitch we're going to go more attacking we've got these players back this is this is it here we go and the ball kicked off and everyone's like the red game kicked off and we're all yeah we're going to have it um and it, it was it was crap uh, for a while in the first half but I think that that's a massive generalization because um we you and I'll disagree on one point which I'll I'll, I'll come on to very very briefly um in a second it probably was there was elements of it that were poor that made the whole game feel poor and I'll come on to passing stats after I've heard a little bit from you in a second because for me that was the fundamental difference was the quality of um, our decisions on the ball and our execution in the second half compared to the first half. Um, but the bit I'm probably going to we're going to disagree on a little bit is, uh, you know, we messaged between each other and you said you thought Wickham had started really well um, and you thought that Wickham had played well for 30, 35 minutes of the game. Whereas actually, I think aside from one or two um, passages of play, largely they disappointed me 
with the players that they've got at their disposal and the experience that they've got across the squad. So that's why I was more disappointed that I was looking at this Wickham side, looking at Sadlier and McCleary. Yes, brilliant. But other than that, you know, I, I, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I, I just thought it looked for a long while like two poor teams. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going to completely disagree with you at all. Um, I think me saying that Wickham were better, it was kind of relative to us, in my opinion, at the time. So they, they were better than we were and therefore kind of deserved the lead going in at half time. As much as there wasn't a host of clear cut chances, the goal that they did score was a clear cut chance and they took it. Um, but I kind of I have to admit, I, I kind of felt similar to you at half time. I maybe didn't say it quite as openly as you did when we were chatting, but uh, I, I definitely felt disappointed. I'm not going to deny that. Because and I think I've been pretty open and honest with this for weeks, to be honest, saying this this game is the one for me that if we're going to see a significant change, it's this one that we are going to see it. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. It takes more than 10 days on a training pitch to build a system, build a style. But it's the first opportunity we've had to see a real change. Um, and I thought it's the most likely that we were, it's the most likely time that there would be if we were going to see something really significantly different. Obviously, system and shape-wise, we saw a big shift. Um, but... Yeah, in terms of performance, or at least in terms of outcome uh, of the performance, I, I, I was disappointed because I think I expected a little bit more. Um, I was disappointed with 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 two elements really in the first half. Number one, I just felt we went a little bit too direct too soon. Um, I think we thought, oh, we've got two players to aim up up there. We've got obviously Freddie, who's who's good at holding the ball up, and um, we maybe were a little bit guilty of going too early too soon. Maybe, but maybe that was born out of the fact that. Um, our kind of technical execution of our passing was a little bit awry in the first half. And to be honest, just some decision-making. It looked a little bit disjointed in the first half, which maybe makes you have that more kind of risk-averse mentality. If you've got a ball deep in deep possession and you've played out and, and played through the opposition four or five times, well, you're going to be, you know, full of beans, aren't you? You're going to be full of confidence and you're going to keep asking for the ball. You're going to keep trying to find those little, those little passes. Um, but if they're not coming off, we've made a couple of dodgy decisions or we've, you know, we've, we've given a chance away off the back of a mistake, then it's risk averse just to kind of clear the lines and, and go up the pitch. So, yeah, I, I felt like just a bit of confidence kind of sapped out of us a little bit and a little bit of technical quality sapped out of us a little bit. And just decision making probably suffered for that. And it became really, really attritional or yeah, transitional, I suppose. Um, but one thing that I can't fault us for in the first half is our intensity and our effort and our kind of work rate. I, to be honest, I don't think I've criticised that at any point this season, but I, I saw a kind of a, a real definite notch up with that um, in terms of our desire to press higher, certainly to press higher, and just the intensity in our challenges. Uh, I felt like we actually were really unlucky a few times because we went in, tried to win the ball, like really kind of com combative to win the ball with a, you know an old school tackle. And the amount of times that Wickham just seemed to come out on the right side of a, of a kind of 50-50 challenge just seemed to be a little unfair. But you know, you kind of got, is that experience, is that strength? What is it? Uh, or is it, is it look? Um, but yeah, in terms of like those intangibles, the work rate, the effort, um, yeah, no, no complaints, but definitely went in at half time disappointed thinking, ah, I was really hopeful of a, an improved kind of in possession performance. And we, ha we didn't see it in the first half, sadly, no. but we did in the second. I mean, a bit more. Picking up on the long passes. I think that that's, that's key. First of all, we actually played, believe it or not, fewer long passes in the first half than Wickham did. Um, and and you know, you, it's not surprising, is it, against the Wickham side, but they played 35 long passes to our 29. The difference was accuracy, 31% for us. And that isn't that wasn't us not winning aerial duels particularly. It was bad passing. Mm -hmm. uh, and everybody was guilty of it. There was one moment where we, we were in a promising position. It was last. He's in the middle of the park. He looked to hook it out to the right wing. 
and there's no communication and they looked to me at times like a team of strangers um, now i don't know why 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 that particularly is i also think that we made wickham look better than they were because we start we played more to their former strengths than mm -hmm. what Matt Bloomfield wants them to be. So we've gone there with Freddie Draper, relatively big lad. We want to land it on his head. We've gone there with Joe Taylor. Let's try and get in the channels. He was making the runs. So we're trying to either get in behind or go with a flick on. They'll gobble that up all day. And and like their, their centre-halves are a pretty experienced pair. You know, they I thought Taylor and Draper actually did really well. Uh, I know that they didn't have an awful lot to feed on, but I thought that they were lively. I thought they put themselves about. They both had opportunities at goal. We'll come into one in the second half that, that Taylor could quite easily have scored. I thought it was a good start from them. They won't come up against more challenging tests defensively than that until Stevenage comes to Central Bank, in my opinion. And Derby and Peterborough, it's a different kettle of fish. There'll be there'll be gaps for Joe Taylor to get in behind. So, you know, I wasn't too distraught about that, but it was the long ball. It was the consistently trying to play the ball forward. Passes to the final third. Um, we, we only played 25, 39 for Wickham. They were just, Wickham tried to be on the front foot without being particularly slick. We'll pick up the goal. Um, typically that it was a person who I championed in a pre-season podcast as, you know, Lincoln should sign this guy. And and I, I thought he had a decent game, Dale Taylor. Um, I think it was a Sam Vokes header back for him or ball back for him. Uh, Michael Scabala talked about, you know, we, we, we talked about Sam Vokes. He was, Vokes was their big danger man. They only had two efforts, by the way, after 60 minutes, both Sam Vokes. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's experienced. Five defenders, two forwards. They still managed to score. I thought Jensen, I know Keepers Union, you'll disagree, might feel a little bit disappointed with himself because he's kind of in the right position, not calling him out for that. It was just another one of those, oh, really? Because aside from the early chance for Vokes inside two minutes, which, by the way, accounted for um, almost half of their first half XG um, at 0 0.44, and they would they, so they were 0 0.19 for the chance, 0.44 all half. So half of their chances came in the first two minutes. But aside from that and the goal, they actually created nothing. And actually, we at the post and last had a great opportunity to score anyway. But the goal was just poor, wasn't it? To to um, to concede. Yeah, I think it's right to pick up on Sam Vokes. And I know Michael Scubala mentioned after the game about how on the whole he thought we dealt with him reasonably well. I thought we dealt with him brilliantly in the second half. I think. Um, in the in the second half, particularly, not only did we kind of win our battles against him, he hardly had the ball. We just stopped the service to him. Um, but in the first half, I thought he was really threatening, to be honest. And I think he'd, he'd won two or three headers up until the point of their goal. And it's for me, it's almost like he, he attracts a bit of attention, doesn't he? So when he when the ball goes deep and he's on, he's always available for the big dive. He always kind of spins off. For the for the, the deeper ball rather than coming showing feet short, similar to how Reed, what Reader used to do under Danny Cowley, he always used to spin off kind of far post for the diag, and he attracted two centre halves, which meant that Dale Taylor could kind of coast in and, and have a a free header from about what six or seven yards away, and he took he's taken it well, and I am definitely keepers union, um, and I'm not going to call Lucas Jensen out like you know, it had to get a, a lot of points to get to the point that. He's conceding a header from seven yards out, and like, you're not expected to save many headers from seven yards out. But I think on the training ground, you're going to look look back at that and you think, hmm, yeah, maybe I could have got a hand to it. I don't think necessarily he's like definitely should have saved it, but yeah, I think it's certainly worth looking back on. But I wouldn't, I would be really hesitant to just blame him and say, oh, keeper should have done better. Oh no, because no, it was no. Um, yeah, some folks did well. You know, he peeled off into a good area, attracted two defenders, and still won his header, which is what he's good at. 
which allowed Dale Taylor to make a good run, by the way, uh, albeit a free header, but it was a good run um, to get on the end of it and a, and a decent header. But um, it was a bit of a sucker punch, to be honest, wasn't it? And, and we were disappointed with the first half, just generally. But um, normally what happens when we concede a goal is we really deflate. And as much as we didn't kind of push forward loads and loads and loads and loads and loads, we didn't deflate. And we'll come on to the second half as well. And I think that was particularly evident when, when we had our goal disallowed and we really kicked on after that point. I think that was a really encouraging sign for me is, yeah, we've been really poor. When when things go against us and we have a disappointing moment or disappointing decision in a game, it normally takes us a little while to get over it. And I don't feel that we particularly dropped off from our current level of performance at any point after any of those disappointing moments. Um, as I mentioned, the actual performance level wasn't massively high at at the point anyway but we didn't drop <laughs> off from it uh, but certainly in the second half it kicks on yeah. I, I don't know if you saw me looking because when you said we hadn't dropped off my first thought was well if we dropped off any further we would have been underground uh, at that <laughs> point. it wasn't that bad like you say but it was it was, it was like in possession stuff that was poor but I, I we often give up a few chances after we've conceded you know we really drop off in and out of possession but out of possession stuff really kicked on um but yeah it's really got to half time Disappointed to be a goal down. Honestly, disappointed at the performance, to be honest. I, yeah. I really thought it was going to be better than it was. Um, I liked a few bits and bobs in terms of effort, enthusiasm and 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 the system, but it just wasn't coming off. And I was a little dejected at halftime, to be honest. Um, but things did change in the second half, didn't they? Well, they did because we started making the right decisions, better decisions. And, and Michael Scabala talks about being brave on the ball and, and we were braver on the ball as well. But our execution was better. And I talk about those stats and I'll pull those out now because I know Adam Bull on his way to work said he loves a stat laden drive to work. So here we go. Um, and I'll compare to the first half. This is percentage of passes completed, by the way. So in terms of forward passes in the first half, 55 percent, which means one almost Every other pass that we played forward was not successful in the first half. 83% in the second compared to Wickham, 56% in the second half and 61 in the first half. So they stayed fairly consistent, but we went through the roof. Better forward passes, long passes, 31% in the first half for us, 61% in the second. We got twice as good, twice as accurate with our long passes as in the first half. Passes into the final third. This is a big metric for me. And Wickham, by the way, 59% in the first half, 54% in the second half. Us, 48% in the first half. So fewer than half our forward, our passes into the final third, we're finding a player. Second half, 75%. Three out of every four passes that we played into the final third in the second half of the game, found the player. That's for, There's two elements at play here. Because you talk about pass accuracy. Number one, it's the person playing the ball. And I get I get that. You've got to play an accurate pass. Number two, for me, and this is the underrated aspect of pass accuracy, you've got to have the run. You've got to have the player there. You've got to have that you've got to win the header. You know, if you play a long ball and you win the header, that's a successful pass forward. So we were competing more, we were making the runs more, we were making space more. I think there, would, there may have been a, a, a tactical change at half time. I felt last was just getting a little bit higher and maybe delivering a few better balls into the box. We're going to talk about, and sorry, I will let you in in a minute. We'll talk about the changes that we made. But before the changes, there was a ball from last that Joe Taylor came across the near post, came across his defender, put wide. Fantastic chance for me. He's got Freddie Draper just behind him. First five or ten minutes, we were slow out of the blocks. And I think once we got 
um, into the swing of things. Andy Pearson says 20 minutes from time we were good. I think 55, 50, 55 minutes from then on we kicked on. I agree. Yeah, I, I, I think it's more memorable for the last 20 because it got better and better and better. It, it improved kind of significantly. And it's that moment that you, you made a point of there. Last cross in, Joe Turn nods it just wide, probably just behind him. For me, that was the moment. I think we messaged each other at that point, didn't we? Or you messaged me and said, here we go, a ball in the box. And it was from that moment for me, I was like, yeah, we've got, there's a chance for us here to get something out of it. It was from that moment that it really kicked on. But you know what was refreshing? We put a ball in the box and there's two people going for it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's not only as simple as knocking the ball in the box and there's somebody there. Think about what we've been dealing with recently. We've complained about the fact we haven't had people in the box. So the ball gets out to last in that situation two, three, four weeks ago. And he's got one player maybe in the box or maybe even zero. Well, there's no point in knocking the ball in the box, is there? Because there's no one to knock it to. So that's when we might start, go back, start again, or try and play something a little bit more cuter and then lose it in a, like a dangerous area. We had something to aim for and it was a threat. And I think because there was something to aim for, it was a threat. We got a shot away. We then did it more and more and more and more. And I think, yeah, like crossing our crossing numbers for this game were, were really good, like really high compared to what we've been before. I think we'll touch on those a little bit when we maybe talk about the game as a whole, because I think it's really, there's two or three really interesting um, metrics to touch on in terms of what has changed maybe since since Mark Kennedy was has left the club and, and Michael Sweetwell has come in, because we're all looking for something a bit different, all looking to see, well, what direction are we going and what has changed? And there are a few things that really have, like really have, um, and that was really evident yesterday. But yeah, it was from that moment, really, from the, that ball in yeah. from last with Joe knocking it wide. That's when I thought, right, here we go. We've got we've, we've got something here. There's a little bit of something for us to have a go at. And then it and that wasn't was that long later, was it, until we had some changes. That was 54 minutes, and I think the changes came on 60 minutes. And that's mm -hmm. what I said. For the first five or ten minutes, it was just a bit, a little bit tepid. And that, that I think that gave us the, the opportunity. Now, the disallowed goal... Um, it will come on to in a moment because I think that also was, was a turning point. We made a couple of changes and for me, we can talk about the starting formation. Obviously, you got quite excited about that 4-4-2 and we talked about um, Freddie Draper and Joe Taylor. The most important player for me in a Lincoln City shirt or being seen in a Lincoln City shirt yesterday was Rico Hackett, without a doubt, because Michael Scabala said it afterwards. Um, he gets on the ball, he takes players on, he puts the ball in the box. He's a handful. And at this level, if you've got that sort of ability in your locker, um, you can create something from nothing. You scare defenders. Ha Rico Hackett put four crosses into the box. He made four dribbles and three were successful in what? 30 minutes on the field. Mm -hmm. So if you if that was over 90 minutes, you'd be talking um, 12 crosses. You'd be talking 12 dribbles. You'd be talking nine successful with ending in... He's just a player that makes things happen. And if we've got strikers on the pitch, brilliant. We were just saying there, the ball coming from last, you've got two players attacking it. Great. You've got to put the ball in the box. You've got to put the cross in. Don't put the cross in. You can play six players up front. It doesn't matter. And over the last few weeks, that's what people have been saying. Freddie Draper won't solve the problems unless we're creating for him. Joe Taylor won't score goals unless we're creating for him. Rico Hackett will create. Danny Mandroyu, when he's back, will create. Ted Bishop, who came on, who actually was was excellent when he came on as well, got the ball, drove forward, lots of progressive runs, lots of nice little passes, eager to get involved. He can create. You can play Rico 
with Ted Bishop or Danny Mandroyu because he's more mobile for me. He'll pop up, he'll get down the wings. When you play Bishop and Mandroyu, you're kind of just taking away a little bit of the pace. It makes it very stun, very kind of stunting. There was a moment where Ted picked the ball up. Um, he was facing goal. He was just inside the attacking half and his foot on the ball. It's very slow. With Rico, it's quick. He gets on the ball. He doesn't stand with it. He carries it. He runs at you. That was the most important change for me. Um, we got two creative players onto the field, both offering something a little different. And from then on, I just thought there was only ever going to be one winner. Yeah, I think three three things changed when we made those two substitutions. Um, uh, and all three worked, to be honest. And um, I think I said at half-time, for me, the, 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 the big change I wanted to see was actually Ted on. I thought Ted would give us an element of control yeah. because that, the ball was like a hot potato at times in the first half, wasn't it? And we just didn't have that that control on the ball. I know you mentioned about it in sometimes slowing the game down and getting his foot on the ball. But actually, let's, let's not forget that that's a really important element of the game. And it's often an, an overlooked one because knowing when to slow it down, to bait the opposition, to create space in behind, or knowing when to speed it up. I think Ted's an expert at that, to be honest. It's not always about being 100 mile an hour. Um, if you're 100 mile an hour all the time, yes, you might have a team pinned in uh, at times, but but it's also not always that, that that space to play in. Sometimes you want to go back, you want to put your foot on the ball, slow it down, get the opposition to press you just a little bit so you've got space to play through. He did it a couple of times when he played against Derby. He dropped into like a DM role and he, he attracted two or three players and then moved it forward and we got a, we got an attack away. So I, I, I thought Ted was brilliant. And for me, it was, right, I want to see Ted on for Burroughs and I want Lass to go into what I believe is his long-term position for us, which is a really attacking right back in a back four. Um, and he moved to that at that point. And I think it really helped um, because Ted then had the opportunity to just kind of slightly more centrally, whereas Lass kept bombing on, bombing on and bombing on that right-hand side. And he was he was even wider then than he was in the first half, which allowed him to be in position then to cross more regularly. Um and I think it gave us a nice kind of playing out option as well. I think when Mitchell and Burroughs are playing next to each other, right centre half and right back, um, both of them have got really good strengths, but neither of them are, um, would say that their biggest strength is their kind of technical ability. And I think when you've got them playing next to each other and, and it maybe stunted a little bit of our, of our playing out in the first half and having last there and Ted just there in that little triangle, it made such a difference. So I think on the right hand side, two things changed, changed and that really helped us. But absolutely, I think I think Rico Hackett, what what a performance for thirty minutes, and yeah, delivery was good, able to to beat a man, but also just felt really, I just felt really comfortable when he had possession of the ball. He was really composed, yep. made good decisions, um, and from that point on, we were like genuinely good. We were like we were genuinely threatening. Um, Wickham hardly had an attack, hardly had a kick. To be honest, they were almost camped in their own eighteen-yard box for the majority of that last half an hour of the game. And I'll be honest, if we didn't get something from the game, I was, I'd have been gutted because we deserved it. Um, and it'd be really frustrating because that's when you, you know, because people that don't, aren't able to watch the game live, just see the results and you think, oh, here we go again. Lincoln but it really wasn't. Down. Yeah, that last half an hour was was really, really encouraging. And and, and for me, that's, if that's what a microscope baller side looks like, then we've got, you know, and it's it's, yeah. it's really positive, isn't it? Now, of course, game state comes into it because you don't attack like that if you're 1-0 up. Um, but I think the fact that we were obviously a goal down and we'd had one disallowed and we reacted to it brilliantly. Well, let's come on to the disallowed goal. Um, yeah. Because we said half an hour and we're at 25 minutes already. We do this oh. every single week. Um, I was incandescent with rage at the offside goal. Me too. Um 
I still time. don't believe it should have been disallowed, but I've watched it back in super slow motion. And the fact is, when the ball's flicked on by, I think it's Rico, Joe Taylor's offside. And the ball doesn't touch him. And by the time the ball, he, by the time the defender's backpedaled, Joe's kind of trapped between the post and the defender. He's not actively interfering with play. He's not impeding anybody. I think the linesman believes that Taylor's headed it in on the line, whereas it's actually come off the defender. I believe the linesman will look at that and go, actually, it should have been a goal. But I think there's a grey area in the law because Michael Scabala said he's not impeding the goalkeeper. Uh, therefore, he's not interfering with play in his post-match interview. But actually, mm -hmm. I don't think you have to be impeding the goalkeeper to be interfering with play. And if you're stood on the line where the ball is coming to go over your head and into the back of the net, are you technically interfering with play? I still think it should have, should have stood, but I can see the argument the other way as well. Yeah, I was um, I was with you. I was incandescent with rage, just as you were at that point. It's great word, isn't it? That? Rolls yeah, off the tongue. Um, it's like how, shrubbery. How... <laughs> shrubbery. Oh, Sorry, go on. Me. No. Oh, what does it remind me of? Doesn't matter. I'll come back to that later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I also think from obviously I've got a bit of a vendetta against linesman today, um, but he can't see that no. from the position he is with the amount of players that between him and the ball, he is not able to see that one hundred percent to be one hundred percent certain. He can't see it. How can you possibly know one hundred percent for certain that 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 the, it's that way? And you always want to look at the opposition reaction when when these sort of things happen. Not a single Wiccan player was contesting offside. One Wiccan player was gutted that they conceded and was like throwing his arms around at his teammates. Not a single Wiccan player was contesting it for a foul or offside. And I think that says a lot, generally speaking. It was, yeah. But like you say, at super slow motion, you can actually see there is a grey area and you can see why it was given. I, I absolutely do not want VAR in the, in the EFL. And if we have to put up with this from time to time, then I, I, I'm willing to take that rather than having VAR. But... Thinking of VAR, you know, if that was taken to VAR, would it have been overturned and given as a goal? Because of that grey area you've mentioned, probably not. The on-field on decision probably would have stood because it wasn't it. definitely wrong. Yeah, so, yeah. But it was flipping annoying because I felt we, you know, it was a real opportunity to kick on. We had looked better up until that point. Um, but it was actually from that point onwards that we looked really, really threatening. Um, the, and then it, the it was positive. that refusal to lose, wasn't it? We like just refused to lose. And I haven't felt like that we had that sort of mentality since Danny Cowley was in charge, to be honest with you. And it felt it very much like that in regard to just just, add, just adding pressure, just ramping up the pressure and not letting Wickham have a moment of peace. And ultimately, cool. last kick of the game and we score a goal. Well, first of all, um, one pleasing thing is that we've actually scored a goal, albeit disallowed from a corner and a set piece. So it shows another threat that we have. Between uh, the disallowed goal and the final whistle, um, there were chances for Rico Hackett, Freddie Draper, Freddie Draper again, Ted Bishop, Jack Moylan, great save, Lass Sorensen, Jova Makama, Lass Sorensen. We poured forward um, and Wickham were putting their bodies on the line. They were fighting hard. 90 plus eight, the goal went in, six minutes injury time. So what I'm going to do before we talk about anything, I'm going to go to Matt Bloomfield's comments. Now, Pete uh, Summers, regular listener who you know people are aware of, said that he thinks it's important for the podcast for one of us to read the opposition manager's comments and get their view. So I think at this point, this is a good time to come in with them because um, his exact words, Matt Bloomfield, Wicker manager, were, 
six minutes of injury time is then extended, then extended again. And then they find a couple of extra minutes with seconds to go, which is frustrating and bizarre. Now, the clock had only ticked. So it's 90 plus eight, but the clock had ticked over to seven something. And six minutes is when it finishes on six. So arguably he played maybe a minute and a half to two minutes over. Um, Jamie Ward, really a fell writer, messaged me and said, I timed one of the throw-ins in injury time and it took nearly a minute for them to throw it in. They had a supporter holding the ball in the stands. The rules were very clear at the beginning of the season. If this sort of thing happens, the referee's discretion is to add more time on. Um, the home comms are incandescent. Six minutes are up, blah, blah, blah. I get it. They're winning the game. They want to win the game. That sort of game management is being phased out. Okay, I think personally there could have been 15 minutes added time. If that game had been played on the opening game of the season, the board goes up, it's 15 minutes because they did everything they could. They were staying down injured. They had their knocks. It's brilliant. 23-24 is the first season where if you do that, you get punished. And I think had we not scored, I actually think Scott Alden might have played another minute or two. I agree. Yeah, and we felt just as aggrieved away at Northampton, didn't we? Yep. And it's nice just to get one our way round. I would argue our game management wasn't quite as blatant as Wickham's was um, nope. in that Northampton game. Um, and I'm going to credit a referee. And it's easy to do that when it goes in your favour, of course. Um, but there's been some real inconsistencies this season with that being added on or not. And some referees do, some don't. It seemed as if some of those newer rules that have been implemented at the start of the season started to have started to kind of fade away a little bit. You have seen a reduction in added on time. You've seen a reduction in yellow card for dissent, for example. Um, but he, he made the right decision because you can pinpoint two or three specific moments in time within added on time where it was legitimate for him to add on that extra in the added on time. And I was just delighted that we made it count because we deserved it. The, the lads fought so hard and there's not a better feeling than, than scoring a goal in the last minute. And that that moment at the end with the players, the fans, oh, it's wonderful. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Like, we all talk about stats. We're going to talk about formations. We're going to talk about the wider picture of Lincoln City. But something sticks to me that you mentioned right at the start of the season, because I know you and I see things reasonably similarly. And you went to the Sheffield United game and you said that your mate Matt said, guys, this is what it's about. It's about moments. <laughs> he did, yeah. And it is at times, you know, football is about those sort of moments, you know, those last minute, last minute winners stick to you forever. And that is that feeling, isn't it? It's that feeling. You can't, you can't beat it. You can't replicate that feeling anywhere else. And um, it was Ethan Arahan and his Stacey West sponsored away shirt, not the third shirt. So his first goal comes in the Stacey West sponsored away shirt. And just really quickly on that. I mean, it was a lovely finish. Actually, it was smart because finish. the ball the ball's deflected to him because I thought for a minute it might have been touched on by Joven and I had to watch it in slow motion again and and again the number of things you've had to watch in slow motion in the area for me is another indication and you're going to put it into numbers in a moment quickly I hope um, but I'm going to put it in just purely the eye test the number of times the ball was bouncing about in the 18 yard box and our players were fighting for it we haven't seen that and I'm going to argue that to a degree, we haven't seen that under the last two managers. Didn't happen an awful lot under Michael Appleton in the second season. The ball didn't go in the box an awful lot. Mark Kennedy had an aversion to taking the ball into the box. And, and you know, all well and good because we did well off the back of it last season. But to have to slow things down and watch and go, who's touched that? What's going on here? Who's got the block there? Just proves that we were piling the pressure on. Smart finish from Ethan Arahan. But Chris, tell us in numbers... What has changed under the Mike under Michael Scabala? 
Yeah, I found this really interesting looking into this today because I think, certainly for me, this was, as I mentioned earlier, this was the big lie in the sand about saying, okay, 10 days on the pitch, it's been game after game after game after game. We've known all about the injuries. There's been so many kind of understandable reasons to explain the situation that we've been in. Um, but of course, we always want to look forward and we're thinking, well, you know, was it the right decision to, to, to move change manager? What are we looking to move forward into? What has or is changing? And I really felt like today, I think today, yesterday, was um, our first opportunity to really, to really see that. And I don't normally like looking at numbers and statistics when you're looking at this as to kind of an overview with just looking at one match in isolation. But so nobody's going to believe it. Like looking at numbers. Oh no, I do. I love looking at numbers, but I don't like to kind of build a picture just in isolation. Okay, okay, this happened in one match, therefore that explains compared to the average of everything else what's happening. But I think we can read a fair amount into this one because this was one where it re things have changed quite significantly. But there's well, the, the first thing we changed obviously was formation. That's obviously the big one. Two up top, four four two slash three five two kind of hybrid, but primarily four four two. Obviously a big change. Numbers wise, though. Um, under Mark Kennedy, there were three particular metrics that we were um, 24th out of 24 for, uh, compared to the whole league. The first one was uh, touches in the box. We had 18 touches in the box yesterday, according to Y Scout. 24, actually, according to FotMob, which is why I put 24 on my Twitter post, by the way. Um, but ultimately, that was significantly higher than our average of 10. Under Mark Kennedy, our average was 10, and that is lowest in the league or it was at the time um 18 if that becomes our new average puts us um fifth in the league for touches in the box per 90 that's obviously better significantly better crosses again that's been a huge difference so we put in the, not only the lowest number of crosses but also have the lowest successful cross percentage in league one under mark kennedy um with I can't even see how many it was. I think it was 11 per game with like 20% success or maybe 18% success. 21 crosses yesterday. If 21 becomes our season average, that'll be third highest number of crosses in the league. Biggest one though. This is the this is massive for me in terms of has our style shifted. Um, it's something called passes allowed per defensive action or PPDA. Um, so we were 24th out of 24 for this under Mark, or, uh, under Mark Kennedy. Uh, hovering around the 15-16 mark, which means that we allowed the opposition to have 15 to 16 passes before we won the ball back or attempted to win the ball back or it went out of play. So a defensive action is basically the opposition losing the ball. Um, that's the average. That was 24th. And we were not only were we 24th, we were actually 24th by a mile as well with that compared to a lot of other teams. Now, uh, this isn't just this game, actually. This is our... Uh, so it was just over nine for it was nine point zero three this game, so significantly lower. Um, but in the last three games, our PPDA is actually averaged at eight point seven seven, which again puts us third in the league. So this doesn't necessarily um, show we're now the third best team, or but it shows that we are the third most aggressive presser in the last three games compared to the season average. Um, compared to being the most passive team out of possession in the league, as we were under Mark Kennedy, you can't like as much as you know. You can sometimes get lost in numbers, and you can say numbers on their own. And if you can make them say what you want, and I agree with that, 
when you look at them in context and combine these numbers together, it helps you paint a reasonably clear picture. Sometimes you can't see all these things in the moment by moment of a game. We are pressing higher under, under Michael Scrubala. That's happened not just against Wickham. That's happened consistently, really, um, primarily over the last three games. And then if the second half against Wickham is anything to go by, there has been a real shift here compared to the thing that we saw in the first half of this season. So if we're able to continue this, um, or elements of that, what we saw in that second half, then I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. And I think the last thing I wanted to say on, on Wickham really is, you know, regardless of the result, obviously we all want to win, but we all want to get something out of the game. Regardless of the result, what did I really want to see against Wickham? And that was a step forward and a, an, an indication of what, what it is going to look like. And to be honest, hopefully just a bit, an assertion, I suppose, that we are moving in the right direction and there is something to look forward to. And even if we hadn't scored that last minute equaliser, I would have got that, genuinely. Um, I think that would have been more difficult to convince people of on this podcast if we hadn't scored that last minute equaliser. Um, and that moment was wonderful. Um, so we've got a real positive sense of positivity now. What a, what a moment to go into our next game, you know, that a death like that. But also, from a slightly more kind of statistical and tactical perspective, there has been a real shift here. Um, and it can only improve, can't it? It can only get better. Yeah, it can indeed. Right, uh, we'll go for a quick short break. And when we come back, no more talk of Wickham. I'm Ethan Arahon, and I'm listening to, this, to the Stacey West podcast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, so thank you very much for that. You might have had that advert, you might not. You never know. You never know your luck. Uh, so we're going to drop on now to uh, some more news. Just before kickoff, and I think it was one o'clock, the press release came out. Um, it was the news that Chris Cohen has joined uh, the club as assistant head coach. One assumes that that means we've now got two assistant head coaches. Didn't see Chris in the dugout yesterday. Um, might I've looked at some photos. I might be wrong. I know I saw Tom Shaw there. I don't know if Chris was was there yesterday. I'm assuming he would be at the game. I don't. I'm not sure. Um, I think this is huge news personally. Uh, I think that the assistant head coach is somebody who can be incredibly important. Um, they can also be incredibly unimportant. For instance, David Kerslake. Um, who was, was somebody that obviously followed Michael Appleton around. And, and there are some people who you ask, what did David Kerslake do? And they will scratch their head and go, hmm, uh, we don't know. And the, anyone who listened to the Under the Cosh podcast with, I think it was Anthony Gerrard when he was at Cardiff, 
um it's well worth a, a, a listen uh, well worth a listen however you think about peter mcdonald uh, peter jackson and neil mcdonald and how different things were that we need then added fianora you think many years ago colin murphy when i think john sheridan was the assistant and then left and we, we kind of dropped off managers and assistants are really important keith alexander gary simpson having somebody like chris cohen who has been assistant head coach i believe at southampton who's been assistant head coach at luton whose playing career is extensive with West Ham and Nottingham Forest because Michael Scavala doesn't have that playing career and that's not to his detriment. But I just think that this adds a certain element to our offering. You know, it gives us that experience of playing the game at a highest level within the coaching team. Tom Shaw played at a relatively low level. Um, Michael Scavala didn't particularly play a, a level at all. It gives us a much wider complement. And I think, again, it's for a longer term. I think you you look down further down the line, you'll see the fruition, the fruits of this coming off in a month, two months time. It won't be instantaneous, uh, but I actually think this is a great appointment for the football club. Yeah, it's a real coup, isn't it? It's a real coup yeah. to, to attract him to the club with the experience he's had at, and the level of club that he's been involved with before as well. Now, he, obviously, he came in to support Tom Shaw kind of almost unofficially um, in the interim. Well, we were between managers. Um, but since Michael Scubala has been appointed, Tom Shaw, of course, promoted to his assistant. So just to clarify, Tom Shaw isn't leaving. There's going to be him and Cohen both uh, supporting Scubala. But when we um, had Mark Kennedy in charge, Danny Butterfield was his assistant and Tom Shaw was the first team coach. So ever since we've had Michael Scubala, we've actually been a staff member down. And um, what I really liked from the club's uh, post about this was that they said they were, they were always determined and, and, and adamant that they wanted to get back up to that full quota, but wanted to make the right decision once Michael Scoobweller had got his kind of feet under the table. Um, but deep down, they knew all along it was going to be Chris Cohen, but they did their kind of extensive research, as they always do. Um, but I just think that that shows the impact that he had in that short time as well, because you know, there was some improvement from that point, wasn't there? Um, as soon as we you know, Mark Kennedy was sacked, yeah, of course, there were some disappointing results, but there were some real positives. Of course, Charlton comes to mind, doesn't it? And uh, I think as much as we we, we 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 kind of praise Tom Shaw, and rightly so, let's not forget Chris Cohen had an influence there. He was in the background as well, and now he's part of us full-time, which is good. I, I, I think he came in for the away trip at Fleetwood, which we won 1-0. Um, and, and, and as you say, just to quote uh, Jez George in the press release, um, Chris quickly built a strong relationship with the club staff and players during Tom's period as interim head coach and earned the respect of everybody with his knowledge, drive, character and desire to improve players. There's that important improve players again, by the way. Quite simply, he is a real coup for the club. Agreed. Um, and we are really excited that the coaching team we have now assembled. When Michael was appointed, we agreed we should take our time in finding the right person. But all along, we knew that was Chris. When Michael was appointed in the conversation I had off the record with um, a, a club member of club staff, they told me there would be an appointment happening at some point down the line, but it would be a couple of months into Michael's tenure after he had come in on a, 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 they call it a, like a root and branch um, overview of the club to see where they needed, what, what expertise they needed. And it seems that they always had Chris Cohen in mind, but they didn't. The undertone I get here is they didn't want to foist somebody on Michael Scabala, who he hadn't particularly worked with at the time. And he now we've got to a point where actually that's exactly who Michael feels he needs. That's what I take from that anyway. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, I agree. But ultimately, but it's good. It's good news, isn't it? Yeah. It can't be anything other than good news. So 
Yay. Thumbs up. Yay. More good news. Uh, Post-match, Michael Scavale gave some really interesting comments. I mean, he spoke glowingly of Ethan Arahan. Welcome to the club. Um, <laughs> kind of talked about formation, all that sort of stuff. We've done all that. But he made some really interesting transfer comments as well. I seem to be reading out people's comments more and more um, on the show at the moment. But I am going to read out Michael Scavale's comments now. And if it feels like I've taken a long while to get there, it's because the screen wouldn't load. So... I did have him on screen at one point and then I clicked off to read the Jez George comments. Uh, so he was asked whether there'd be any transfers coming in this week. He said, I'm still hopeful. We're still working hard. I still think we need to add to the group. I still think we need to bring in a bit of experience. I'm really keen on doing that. Ding, ding, ding. Player one. Um, and then he goes on to say, as you know, I like attacking, wide attacking players like Rico, because I think when you get those players on pitches at this level, it's hard to defend. So hopefully we can do something still and we're still working hard behind the scenes. Now, off air, we said this is either one player, a specific player that we're looking at. And I likened it potentially to a Gareth McCleary, 27, 28, been around, but drops a shoulder, beats players, that sort of thing. Or it's two players, a young lone player like Sean McGurk from Leeds, for instance, who's going to be quick, pacey, get at you down the line, and then another player in another position. Um, I believe we're going to be looking at signing a number 10, which I think then doesn't particularly fit with the wide player mould. So I think there's a hint there at potentially two players. Here's an interesting one. Scott Fraser has been deemed surplus to requirements at... Uh, Charlton have been told he could leave. Is that the sort of experience and the mm, not really wide attacking player? Because obviously he's a central player, but it's interesting, isn't it? It, op it, throw it opens up more questions than it answers. I think it does. Yeah, um, I would if we if this is the two players that I think I think we're probably assuming it is in an ideal world that the club would like to bring in. For me, it would be a. Yeah, an experienced number 10, creative number 10, someone who could hold on to the ball higher up the pitch for us and allow us to get up there. And then also a tricky kind of explosive winger, maybe a young lad on loan from a Premier League team or maybe Leeds or someone along those lines. <coughs> Scott Fraser would certainly fit that first category, wouldn't he? Uh, what is he, 28, 29 now? Something um, like that. Yeah, been around the block. Um, has, when he's been on form, has been one of the best players in this division. Let's not deny that. When mile. But yeah, by a mark. I, I was um, really surprised that he stayed in League One, actually, when he left. Who was he at before Charm? Was it Burton? It was at um, Burton, then he went to MK Dons, where he was at ah, standing. MK, it was MK Dons I'm thinking of. Yeah, when he left MK, I assumed he was going to go to a championship club. I just did. Um, and, he, and he didn't. Obviously, he went to Charm. And he's been in and out of the team. And hasn't... Of went course twitch, he did. Between. Flipping out. Do your research, Chris. Oh, that's embarrassing, isn't it? But ultimately, Scott Rose has been around League One for a long time, and he's been a top player in League One for, for, for a while. And of course, we're not saying that we're going to be signing Scott Fraser, but that type of player would make sense. It's a very different profile to what we've got at the moment. Um, the only concern I'd have about him specifically would be the off the like the pressing. If we, you know, we've mentioned the metrics of like PPDA and how aggressive we've been off the ball with our pressing since uh, since Scubal's come in, particularly in the last few games, that, that appears to be the direction we're travelling in. I'm not 100% sure that him specifically fits that element of no, that game. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah. I get that. I, I think that was it was more kind of off the cuff. That's the sort of player I can see as wanting to bring in in that yeah. central attacking area. Yeah, I suppose. Our, our average age yesterday, sorry, was 23.1. 
And I think in terms of attack, we were very, very young and we looked better when Rico and Ted Bishop, not just because of the type of player that they are, but because they're that little bit older, they're a little bit more common sense. We talked about Ted putting his foot on the ball. I wasn't being critical about Ted doing that. I was being critical about Ted and Danny Mandroyu doing that when they play together. You mm-hmm. do have to have that kind of look at the game for a brief second. However, how do we sign experience at this in this transfer window, knowing that there are financial changes happening? And I'll put that over to you. And the other thing I'll put up to you with, over to you is um, Quado Bar, Burton Albion, just gone back to Watford. Now, there's a young player that I would like to see. I would like to have Quado Bar. I would, if we brought him, I'd be delighted. He was great at Burton early in the season. And it was fun because we saw him at Dusseldorf last season when we went to watch him against St. Pauli when he was on loan there. So that was fun. Uh, but yeah, he's exactly the sort of player I'd like to get on loan. In regards to the experience, that's the hardest thing to bring in in January. Um because they cost a bit, don't they? So someone who has been deemed surplus through a crime, someone with experience in this league or even the one above that can't get in a team at the moment, that's desperate to play, that's the sort of player that we want to be going for. So that, that phrase absolutely makes a lot of sense in that regard. I know, like, like we said, there's maybe a few question marks, but you're not going to get the perfect player at this level. You want to, But I think what's really important is we don't need another project player at the moment. We've got good quality in the team, we've got good depth, got good, kind of good players that are, that are young and, and with, with, with potential. Whoever we bring in that's an experienced player needs to be someone who can elevate the quality of our first 11. I think that's just that's the important part. That's hard to do without spending a transfer fee. Um, and I don't think we'll ever spend a transfer fee on someone that we've not got the potential of recouping it um, down the line. So, yeah, it'd be really interesting. But I also think it'd be quite difficult to get a player like that on loan at the moment unless there's a player that they want to get off the wage bill currently that's maybe out of contract at the end of the season or something, and it's a six-month loan. Yeah. I mean, we have signed experience on loan at this stage before with Midi Shadipo last year. Marcus, obviously, in different positions. One last thing I want to touch on then um, for now, and that is injuries. Now, Mm. the club working in conjunction with Nottingham Trent University uh, commissioned a report into the injury situation to try and spot patterns, etc. And us being your favourite number one Lincoln City podcast have managed to get a look at that report. Um, and it's incredibly interesting reading because it dispels some myths. Now, um, when the report kind of came across my inbox, the point was there's this misconception that we sign Crocs um constantly and that's part of the problem that we have i want to give you some numbers now these are stats not related to a game these are stats related to injuries so i'm going to give you lincoln city's injuries and these are um injuries data required reported for mid-season 2023-24 now the one thing that skews this is that lewis monsma's injury is not counted in the 23-24 stats because it was sustained last season and has carried over. So that isn't an injury that's counted at this stage. You can only count the injury once in in numbers. So injuries we've had this season, we've had 17 injuries um, and five illnesses, which have um, led us to missing 551 hours. That's our match exposure. The average for League One is 20 injuries per club. So we've actually had three fewer injuries than the League One average, which you know 
is surprising from from where we've been sitting i think mm-hmm. illnesses three per club so we've had two extra illnesses okay we've got you know one sickly child i don't know whatever <laughs> um but the average match exposure for those 20 injuries uh per in league one is just 459 hours so with three fewer injuries we've had 102 more hours so the injuries we've had have been longer term that's the first kind of set that's the first um uh, number set of numbers the second one is how those injuries have occurred we've only had six injuries that have occurred during matches this season and 11 are classed as training injuries the average is 13 per match and seven in training curiously there's a field of other which is 0.1 so there's some player somewhere <laughs> that has been opening a Christmas present and has fallen over and the tree's fallen on him and he's broken his arm <laughs> and missed three days. So whoever that is, I don't know. Um, in terms of court, in terms of, of, of types of injuries, um, we have the highest number of muscle strain, tear, rupture and cramps compared to the League One average. So we're around 80% muscle strain, tear, rupture or cramp, whereas the average is around 50%, which I think is interesting. Um, yeah. And location of injury thigh nearly 80 percent of our injuries almost 80 percent of our injuries are thigh injuries whereas the league one average is around 40 percent. so we nearly have twice as many thigh all the other numbers are more or less the same bone fractures bits and bobs here and there um foot toe ankle etc um so just just before we move on to how that looks over the course of the seasons is there anything there that kind of surprises you worries you alleviates worry or concerns about signing injured players over a few things to be honest um the first one is that is the first point you made really about the concerns of signing players that are prone to injury that was never something i was massively um in agreement with anyway uh you know for every uh joe walsh there's a neil Erdley, isn't there you know who who we managed to get so much out of <coughs> so yeah i i i'm pleased that that's kind of Put it in numbers and kind of dispel the myth that that's the case. But I think there's definitely something in here in regards to the fact that you know, in game our injuries are significantly lower than the average, but actually in training they are they are higher. It's noticeably higher, and the fact that there is a specific location on the body where we are really kind of prone to to to, to receiving those injuries that does suggest that there's a pattern forming. But that's kind of a good thing because it means. If you know where it's coming from, you know how to fix it. It ain't a mystery anymore. It's the point um, of the report, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Okay, we've spotted a pattern. Now we can put this in place. It's hopefully going to resolve that. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was a really privilege to see that. It was really interesting. Um, and thank you for sharing that because I, yeah, as you know, find that sort of stuff super interesting. But um, yeah, for me, I, 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 as, as general, I suppose as normal, try and see the positives in that. A few concerns, obviously, in regards to why we have the injuries we have now. Some of it's bad luck as well. Let's not let's 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 not discount that. But the, the fact that we found a pattern, I think, is encouraging because it means there's a solution there. One thing this doesn't show us though is doesn't tell you who's injured, does it? Doesn't tell you whether they're a key player or a fringe player. We've just been super unlucky that we've had you know the injuries we have sustained are long term. And they've been generally to key players. And that's just something that's that feels just harsh, doesn't it? That feels bad luck. But the pattern well, is shows that there's something else we can do about the other elements of it. Well, we're talking about harsh. If it was um it's gonna be really harsh, it sound really harsh. If it was Joven and Hacks who had suffered Ben House and Tyler Walker's injuries, 
we wouldn't be discussing injuries now. And we probably wouldn't have even done the report. Probably, well, I, I, whether the, the, the club may well have done because <laughs> people don't believe this, but the club are very thorough in everything that they do. And they look at every single facet of you know the, the playing side of things. That whole Danny Cowley mantra of, of minor games has never changed. That's still what the club is all about. So I believe they would have conditioned, they would have commissioned this report. It might be something that they do yearly. It might be something data-wise we've been doing for a while because the data starts um, Lincoln City in 21-22. And I find it really interesting that the match injury rate in 21-22, which was the season after the playoffs, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. 21-22 was Michael Appleton's season. Our match injury rate, number of match injuries per 1,000 match hours, was way up, was 80-something uh, rather than, I don't know what that is. It says number of injuries per, oh, hours. So 80 hours per 1,000 match hours, that must be what it is. Way above the league average. It was still above the league average in last in 22-23. This season, it's below the league average. We then go to match injury burden, so days lost per thousand match hours. Again, 21-22, we're above the average. 22-23, 23-24, we're below the average. And then finally, match injury severity. And I find this really interesting, that the severity, so the average number of days lost as a result of match injuries, has been lower the whole time, 21-22, 22-23, 23-24. So the severity of injuries that we're suffering in matches, even with Lewis Monsmer, I mean, would there be two Lewis Monsmer injuries potentially? Yeah, most likely. Yeah, probably so. So actually, but then critics will go, well, obviously we're not putting ourselves about enough in matches. But the (laughs) point is that you, you said it earlier in the podcast, you can make numbers say whatever you want. But if you actually just try and read them without any kind of bias having looked through this report my first takeaway from it was well we're no different to anyone else really <laughs> not really there's a pattern there as you've said there's the hamstring muscle whatever the you know and the, the thigh the, the, there's a pattern i buy that but in terms of the number of hours and all that sort of stuff it's you know I, we've had two relatively severe injuries this season in ben house and tyler walker which have severely impacted our match exposure in terms of the number of injuries, I you know, I think it is a misconception. And I've argued this without numbers before. So it did kind of prove my point. And I did read it with a, 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 a kind of a blank slate. Um, but I've always said we don't just sign Crocs. Every, play, every team has injuries. Alex Gorin, just gone to Forest Green, hasn't he? And he mm. was injured at Oxford. Oxford signed. Who was the big centre forward that Oxford signed who barely played a game for him? Sam Baldock? Mm, yes, think, he definitely went there. I don't know whether he played that often or not. He was definitely part of them. Barely, barely played. Your point stands. The injuries this season have been, it's a bit about who they've been to, and not so much the numbers. And we have been a little unlucky the last couple of weeks, but when we've talked about nine or 10 players being out, we're talking about you know minor strains for a single game. We're talking about illness to Adam Jackson. We're talking about major suspensions as well. So, it's kind of all a perfect storm almost, isn't it? Which we're starting to come out the other side of now, which yeah. is obviously the huge fingers positive. Crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. I don't obviously no one went off injured, I don't think, on, on Saturday. So that's a, that's the first time that's happened for a while. Um so that's positive. Um yeah, there's, there's just a bit of a feel-good factor again now, isn't there? A bit of positivity, system change, good good performance on the in the end. Uh, like well, really good performance in the end. 
um, you know, counter adversity. What a moment to finish the game with on, on Saturday. So I am, um, after initially really kind of dreading these back-to-back home games as I was before uh, before this one. And I said on our monthly show with Charlie, I was like, this game, this game against Wickham is huge because it will, not only is it important to see those changes, it will also dictate kind of how I feel and therefore probably how a lot of people feel going into the next home game or next two home games, those back-to-back home games against two really big or two good sides. Um, and I've now gone from thinking, let's just get something from Wickham and I'll take a point this month to I think we can get something from I think we can get one, two or three points in the next two games and I'll take any okay. of them. Um, but if we can take one, two or three points out of these next two games on the back of a performance that, that shows the qualities and the strengths that we showed against Wickham in that last that last half an hour, then yeah, we're on, with then the fixtures that we have in February coming up. We've, we've definitely got a huge light at the end of the tunnel there, and I, I think we can really start to push on from that point. I think the February fixtures are quite interesting, um, and that's last year's fixture list. So there's no point in me reading from those. <laughs> I thought it was going to be really clever there, and got the, the February fixtures. Uh, but there's fixtures there that you think we can start pushing ourselves up the table, and um, I think we can take something from the Derby game. I think Peterborough will be more difficult. I think this Peterborough side are very, very good. They're very young. They're the youngest starting eleven consistently in the division. Um, and and they're just they're dynamic and they score goals. That's that's going to be a tough tough game. Um, but Derby, I think we can raise ourselves for that. I really do. So yeah. it's been a good with, podcast with two good, with two good atmospheres as well. Two big away yeah. followers. Always good fun. Do you want the um, February fixtures before we finish off quickly? Yeah. Why them? not? Why not? It's re- yeah. So we've got five league games in February: away at Burton, yeah. at home to Fleetwood, away to Charlton, at home to Exeter, away to Port Vale. They're all winnable. They're all winnable. Of how that, yeah, how many points we get out of it, obviously we'll see. But in terms of how do you go into those games, what mentality do you go into those games with? Yeah, we we could get something out of this one. Yes, that sounds like a good idea to me. Speaking of mentality, before we wrap up, Chris Ray was talking to me earlier. Um, You know, he does the colouring in on the um, on the cartoons. Uh, and he was talking about our run, the 10K oh, yeah. run, which we're all doing, which we haven't spoken a lot now. Uh, and he's put, um, when the Stacey West team does the 10K, are you all going to run together? And I have put no. And he said, I'm worried that this is basically no challenge whatsoever for Chris. He's very much getting away with it. And I wonder if I can beat him. Uh, and he's um, put, I think Chris's caveat is that he has to beat me, an aged and heavier failed artist. <laughs> I would just like to point out, um, I don't know where this perception of me being fit has come from, because I am not. Um, I have never, ever ran 10K in my life, apart from, not, not, not in one go, did one of those 10K mud run things. Uh, what was it called? Airfield Anarchy existed for a little while. Um, that was 10K with loads of obstacles, but you get a rest at FC Obstacle. I've never in my whole life ran 10K um, without stopping. Uh, I used to do 100 metres when I was a kid. I was good at running quick, not very good at running long. Uh, and I haven't ran for a long, long, long time. So um, I'll be honest with you, Mr. Ray, you're going, You're definitely going to beat me. You're definitely going to beat me. Uh, so it's not a bet I'm willing to take on. For me, genuinely, completing it will be an, an achievement. Um, uh, I, I know we've, we've all kind of at different stages. Obviously, you are a runner. You've done it for a long time. Um 
my fitness has definitely gone taken a downhill um, over the last couple of years. And obviously, you, you mentioned Charlie and Ben's situations. We're all at slightly different places. For me, I just want to complete it, to be honest. And um, without wanting to sound uh, a bit horrible, because you said, no, we're not going to run together. Uh, I genuinely just want to make sure that we all complete it. And if it means that I want to support Ben and Charlie along the way, though I think they'll be fine, um, I want to support them with that as well. Uh, but yeah, from a, genuinely, being, from a personal being... notice. No, I don't expect you to. You, you've got a time to try and beat. That's fine. I haven't. I'm not going to beat my time. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know but but uh, genuinely, I um, I'm getting a bit more concerned about it now because the first said it's like, oh yeah, be all right. And now, like, do I feel that if I had to run 10k tomorrow, could I do it if I had to? Yeah, I think I could turn up and finish it. I wouldn't get a good time, and I would hate every second of it. So what I'm determined to do is is get myself into a state so I'm, I'm not going to hate every second, so I can actually enjoy elements of it. Um, and finish it reasonably well but yeah I, I, for anyone that's got expectations of me doing it well mm -mm, not happening not happening i'm not a runner i'm a goalkeeper so, for god's sake i was just gonna say that you're a goalkeeper i <laughs> <laughs> suppose you know anything about football being a goalkeeper yeah true uh, or loads because you can see everything when you're watching the game yeah yeah it's all in front of you so you haven't started training yet uh first one this week was my plan yeah oh, I've been up to, so I, was working, I was working i was working away last week so yeah, haven't yeah. really had a chance. Well, I um I'd worked my way up to a 5k, so I did my first 5k uh night before yesterday. Um I don't feel too bad, but the first two I did three kept two lots of 3k last week, it nearly killed me. And my problem is I, I get up to a point where like the other week when before Christmas I ran to rugby from here, which for those who don't know is is what 12 miles, yeah, something like that. Maybe. Very impressive. Um, and I was really happy with that. And then I did nothing. And now I genuinely don't feel I could run around my garden. I think Captain Tom would beat me on laps. Well, even now? <laughs> well, not now. No, not unless somebody <laughs> wheeled him around. Um, obviously. But yeah, you know what? This is something that I think it's just the hardest part's getting started, isn't it? And yeah. um, what I do for a living, you know, work people in this situation a lot. And it, and it comes up all the time. And the hardest part is getting started because, specifically, if you used to be fit, then you are now. Because. You have the idea in your head of how it's going to be and think oh, it's either going to be okay or you think it's going to be awful but you have an idea in your head um you also know what it used to feel like and then if you don't go out let's say i want to go out for my first run i'm probably just going to try and do like a mile or something just just kind of run down the road and back just to get an idea if i go out there and come back and i knew i could let my eyes closed historically then that's fine it's in your head and that's what you expect but now you know that first time you come back and you're breathing out your backside and you hate every second of it and you can't breathe. That's horrible. So you kind of like yep. avoid making that first step because if you do it, you then get the evidence that you're unfit and it feels horrible and, you, and, you, and you've taken a step back away from where you used to be. So like that, that's what I'm finding hardest at the moment in terms of getting started is just taking that first step because I know it's going to be horrible. But if I don't do it, I don't have to experience it being horrible. <laughs> so I think the first, that's really first 10 steps talking to Fee about it on the dog walk this morning and she said oh it's just that first run it's not it's the first two weeks that's what it is because the you do your first run you come back you feel crap you're hanging out your ass two days later you've got to do it again and you think oh for really do I mean it's like you know with David Brent in the office where he's me doing the blind date and she walks in and he's at the bar and he's goes oh he's just like that you just see that's <laughs> The run walking in, I'm oh my god, no, it looks like my auntie. Um, and then like then in like two weeks' time, I'll be out running and I'll put I put a podcast on. I listened to the podcast you recommended, the European football one. Oh, the sweeper. The sweeper. It's well, great. The sweeper one. Yeah, just looking at uh, the Marshall Islands or whatever. It was, it was brilliant. Mm -hmm. So I was listening to that and just running, and I could feel the pain, but 
I get into that and then I think, oh, great, I can listen to this podcast when I run. And it's not about the running. It's about doing something. Somebody right now will be running, listening to this. And it'll be the run is their time to listen to the Stacey West. So they're not just going out and going, oh, I'm going to run. They're going out and going, oh, for fuck's sake, I've got to listen to Chris and Gary. But do you know what I mean? It gives you the additional purpose. So I think that's yeah. enough talk. Yeah, we nearly we we nearly got the football stuff within an hour, and now we seem to be padding for some reason with running talk. So yeah, despite um, we being go. well over an hour now, well over an hour. So it started miserably against Wickham and did genuinely get better from there. We've got lots to be positive about. A full coaching team now in place. We've got players who are going to be coming in. Undoubtedly, one or two will go. We still haven't done our transfer window special. It's getting a little bit late for that. The injuries aren't as bad as you thought. Actually, what this podcast is telling you is. Nothing's as bad as you think. There's plenty to look forward to. Two big games coming up at Sinsel Bank, and I'd rather be playing Peterborough and Derby than I would Welling and Salisbury. Ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls, as ever, you've been great. We've been better. Stacey West Podcast signing out. Up the imps. Up the imps. the 90th minute and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.